Let's pray together. Father, impart these ancient words to our hearts now. Help us, we pray, by your ancient words, by the pathways and the, and the wisdom that you have given and we have forgotten as a culture. Help us, we pray today. Guide us to these ancient words. Help us to know their truth. Help us to know the health and blessing and benefits that they give. Help us, we pray, and be with us, we ask. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 6. Jeremiah chapter 6. Today is Father's Day, and uh, I'm just thankful that uh, for this day. I'm thankful for my dad. I'm thankful for the great dads that I see here in this room. Uh, I'm thankful for what we've done as uh, we've, we, we've experienced as, as fathers and, and seeing these fathers. And I want to take this as an opportunity to address some things uh, that, we, that we need to understand. And, and I want to turn us to Jeremiah chapter 6. And uh, I want to tell you a little story about this verse. Uh, I'm sure I read this verse because I've read through the Bible a lot, so I know this verse was there. But when Phil Tingley, years ago, was uh, designing and setting up our church website, um, he wanted a verse to, to really capture what the website should be or, the, or what the ethos of our church is. And he chose this verse, Jeremiah 6.16. And uh, we're going to look at this, we're going to read this, but... Uh, but I wanted you to, uh, uh, before we do that, I want to look at the, at the uh, context a little bit. Uh, Jeremiah is, is prophesying to Israel, to J Judah, and he's, he's warning them. He literally is going to preach them into exile. And he's warning them of, of, and God is speaking through Jeremiah, warning these people, warning this, this, this because these people have turned away from God. Look at verse 10. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Indeed, their ear is uncircumcised and they cannot give heed. Behold, the word of the Lord is a reproach to them. When God would give them words, these ancient words, they hated them. They hated God's word. And then look at verse 11. It's kind of a scary verse. It says, therefore, I am full of the fury of the Lord, Jeremiah says, and I am weary of holding it in. And this is God speaking. I will pour it out on the children outside. God is going to pour out his wrath upon these people. And he begins to judge them. He begins to judge husbands and households and children and even prophets and priests. And then in verse 15, he says this. Were they, were they ashamed when they had... And by the way, verse 15 to me seems like a verse that encapsulates our world today right now. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed, nor did they know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. At the time I punish them, they shall be cast down, says the Lord. But then God gives an exhortation and encouragement to people. And he says this, thus says the Lord, verse 16, stand in the ways and see. And ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. And then you shall find rest for your souls. That's the verse we're going to look at. That's the sentence we're going to look at. We're going to look at the second sentence of the verse. But look at that verse again. Stand in the ways and see. 
Ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. When Phil showed me that verse, I was like, man, that's brilliant. Thank you. Yeah, so it's actually on our website today. Now, look at the board because the, the screen has it in the NIV. And I thought for our church's sake, this is kind of cool when I read this. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. And ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. Today I want us to look at these ancient paths, some of these ancient paths. The word here, what Jeremiah is saying here is look for the ancient in this sense. Not old and decay and decrepit, old fashioned and worn out. That's not what he means at all. He's talking about find these ancient paths, and that way the word has this emphasis of being reliable, dependable. Find the sure paths. Find the paths that will take you to the place where you want to go. Find the proven way. Find the paths that have a good track record. Find the paths that haven't failed. Find those paths and get back on them and walk on them, and good will come. And we're going to look at some of those paths today. But what I want to begin by, just by way of introduction, is saying this. There's a lot of hopelessness that people have today. And that hopelessness comes with that, with helplessness. And I'll give you an example. The mass shootings, all of the shootings that we're seeing, all of the shootings that are going on in this country. And we look at this and we become hopeless. And we become helpless. And, and any efforts that seem to be make, people are trying to make, government is trying to make to stop these, they all seem so weak and anemic, almost tokenism and such. And they never seem to address the root issues and the root causes and also the root, the solutions that would help the root causes, they're attacking today. And we're going to look at that. And what's happening in our culture today is that some very valuable things are being left behind. Imagine you were in a, in a motel room or, or uh, uh, such and you stopped and, and for some reason you took your wedding ring off and you put it down and uh, maybe you got some, something on your hands and you were washing, you put your wedding ring down and you left, you got on your car and you left and you're driving down the road and you're a couple miles away and you realize, I left my wedding ring back in the motel. It's so valuable. You would drive back to that motel and you would go back there to see if you could find it. You, you would go back to find something valuable and that's what we need to do. Some valuable things have been left behind and we need to go back and find them and we need to begin to institute them in our lives so today I am not here to um, rail against this culture although I am going to do some railing against culture but I'm not, I'm not here to do that what I'm here is to give us hope and I want to give us some suggestions on what we can do so that we don't feel so helpless as to what is going on in the world around us today. And I think the ancient words are going to help us. We're going to look at the ancient words. We're going to go back to the ancient paths. You know why? The modern paths today aren't working. They're not working. And we need to go back to the tried and true and reliable ancient paths. And what are some of those ancient paths? What are those valuable things that we're leaving behind? Well, one of them is this, the family. The family. Today is Father's Day. And it's the, the, one of the paths that we're leaving behind is the family. The importance of the family, especially as the foundation of society. 
especially the family, as its role in socializing, even civilizing, the future generation that is to come. You see, one of the, key, one of the things that seems to be constant in these mass shootings, and I've, I went back and studied some of the recent mass shootings is, number one, it's men and boys. You notice women usually don't go in and start blowing things up, blowing people away. It's men and boys. It's men, and by boys I mean 18-year-old boys. And if you look at these boys and you look at their lives, their lives are, they, they, you, they come out of uniquely broken homes. They're, they come out of broken homes. And maybe, maybe mom and dad are being in, in, are intact, like what happened, in the, the, the man who shot the story in Wisconsin, but nevertheless, the family was dysfunctional, and there was, there was, there was lots of brokenness within the home. The, uh, uh, the, the young man who shot the school up in, in Texas, Salvador Ramos. Salvador Ramos, when you would listen to the news, as soon as I was listening to the news about this poor man's life, he, his mother, he, wasn't, he was living with his grandmother because he couldn't live with his mother because his mother was a drug addict and there were problems at home with his mother. And so he moved in with his grandmother and then he eventually killed his grandmother or shot his grandmother and then went to the school and shot all those people up and then at 18 years old was shot and killed and died. What a sad life. But the question is, where were the men in this man's life? Where were the father figures in this man's life? You see, dear friends, one of the root causes, and, 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 and while we talk about controlling guns and while we talk about uh, securing uh, schools and we talk about uh, help, help for, the med, uh, for the mentally ill, and, 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 and I'm, not, I'm not getting political here, I'm just talking, while we talk about that, nobody said, wait, where were the men in Salvador's life? Where, where was the family structure for Salvador to grow up in? There wasn't one. We need to get back to the understanding of the importance of family family. We keep talking about all of these other areas of life and all of these other ways of doing relationships and people just hooking up together and living together and people. We need to get back to the old path of family and how important family is. You see, dear friends, when God created the uni when God created the world and God created human beings, God created a man, Adam, and a woman, Eve, and they were the only two on the earth. They were the only two on the earth, Adam and Eve. And what does God do? He performs a marriage ceremony. And that's why Genesis 2.24 says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. They had a wedding. Adam and Eve had a wedding. They were married together. God instituted the family right at the beginning. Jesus goes on to amplify this in Matthew 19. When Jesus is asked about divorce and such like that, Jesus goes back to this wedding of Adam and Eve, and he says this in verse Matthew 19:4. And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them in the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. He's quoting the Genesis 2 passage. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Jesus is going back to Genesis, and he's explaining to them that marriage, the family, found is foundational to how God has put together the world, and in our human society. Now, put that on hold for a second, because we're going to come back to the family. But I think there's another ancient path that we need to get back to understand. Another ancient path that we need to get off the modern path and get back on the ancient, reliable, uh, tried and true, tested path. 
What is that path? That's the path of a proper understanding of sex. A proper understanding of sex. God created the sexual union between husband and wife as a beautiful or God-ordained gift that God has given. And this thing that we just so banter around as sex, this thing that God has created is so valuable and so special and so powerful and so sacred that God felt it should be kept in a safe. You see, many of you may have firearms at home. Knowing this church, you all have multiple firearms at home. But anyway, many of you have firearms at home. And you may have a safe that you keep those in. Why? Because they're dangerous. Because they're powerful. You don't want to get them in the wrong hands of children and such. So you put them in a safe. Also, if you have very expensive diamonds, very expensive jewelry, many people put those in safes. We take the valuable, special, precious things that we don't want lost or stolen, and we put them in a safe. God took this beautiful, valuable, sacred, powerful thing called sex, and he put it in a safe. And the safe is marriage. It is the marriage between a man and a woman who, have, who love one another and have made a lifelong covenant with one another. And in that safe, this valuable, powerful thing is to be protected and kept sacred and holy. You see, dear friends, sex is a super glue. It is a super glue. It bonds two people into a covenant relationship. A relationship in which there is amazing intimacy, amazing depth with one another. And that's why the Bible says the husband shall be joined to his wife. The old, the old uh, King James cleave to his wife. And that word literally means glued, super glued to his wife. If you've ever used super glue in a way that you were sloppy with it and you glued your fingers together, you realize how powerful that is. That's what sex is. They're to become one flesh. It's a beautiful expression of their overall uh, oneness uh, that, that they have. They're doing doing life together. They're doing life together and sex bonds them and, and connects them with one another. And this is what the world doesn't understand. It doesn't understand. The other thing that we need to begin, go back to the old path and understand about sex is this. Sex is a way of making people. Sex is a way of procreating. Sex is a way of producing children. That's part of its power. That's part of how amazing it is. And in God's wisdom, how he created it, Adam and Eve, they were to come together and have children. And that sex and, ch and making children is to come together. And what we have done as a culture is we have completely cheapened and degraded sex. And that's why I'm saying we need to get to the pathway of, of, of a positive, godly understanding of sex. We have made sex mere physical pleasure. That's it. Mere physical pleasure. And so it can be anyone at any time coming together for mere 
physical pleasure. And we act like that works, and it doesn't work. Because sex is made way too powerful. There's an emotional element. There's an attachment element. And that's why young women, for instance, especially talk about this hookup culture. And they say, I just keep feeling so empty. I just keep coming away so empty. The next morning, he doesn't even want to talk to me. He doesn't even care about me. He's moved on to somebody else. And I just feel violated. Why? Because sex is more than mere physical, uh, intimate, uh, mere, mere physical pleasure. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to politicize. I'm not even trying to make a, a, a point pro against about what I'm about to say. But I do want to throw this out to you to think about it. We need to understand. We need to think as Christians, no matter how we act this out in our lives, and it's not the church that tell you how to act this out in your life. And that is that birth control has changed dramatically. I just want to make this point. Birth control has changed dramatically. This isn't a, pot, a, pro, a negative or pro-birth control comment. I, I know I keep qualifying because people get all, I'll get all kinds of questions. But I just want to make you this point. It's just so we know this point. Birth control has removed children from the equation of sex. And because of that, sex lost something. It lost an awesomeness. It lost a, a power, as it were. It lost a reality that further cheapened it. You see, if before birth control, if you were going to engage in sexual activity, there was a very real possibility that a child was going to come from that. A child with all of its needs, all of the responsibility, all that would go on with that. And that would cause a hesitancy that we don't have anymore because birth control has eliminated children from that. And so what I'm saying is, is the culture where we have cheapened sex, we've made it purely a physical thing, and we've taken out the whole process of, of it possibly producing children, we've cheapened it, cheapened it, cheapened it to the point that it's just crass now. We're like alley cats. Alley cats, they, they, you know, the sun goes down, the tom goes out, the tomcat goes out, the other, they go walking up and down through the alleyway, and wh whoever, whoever female alley cat he can find who's willing at that point, and she's in heat, that's great, boom, he's moving on to the next alley. And that's what we have become. And that's why verse 15 of Jeremiah 6 really describes how we approach the issue of sex today in our culture. Were they ashamed when they had committed abominations? No, they were not at all ashamed, nor did they know how to blush. Dear friends, we need to get back to the ancient path, the ancient path of understanding sex as God understands it. Could you imagine? I've said this time, and I say this. Could you imagine what would happen if we simply got back to the ancient pathway of understanding sex as valuable, beautiful, precious, and kept in the safe of marriage. Could you imagine what would happen in American culture tomorrow if everybody agreed to that? And so a young man could not have sex unless he was willing to put a ring on a finger of a woman, make a lifelong commitment to her, and have a livelihood that could provide for her needs. It's hard to even imagine what America would be like. Okay, nobody in America can have sex unless you put a ring on her finger, you have a, a job that will provide a livelihood so that you can take care of her, and you're ready to make a lifelong commitment to her. Well, housing market would go crazy. People, guys would start wanting to buy houses. The we wouldn't have a hard time finding employees in our jobs anymore, would we? There'd be people wanting to get jobs all the way. And because we need to understand, dear friends, that we need to hold fast to the biblical view of sex. Now, let's go back to the family. 
because that's where this all ties together. We need to see the family. We need to get back on the pathway of seeing the family now as the training center for the next generation. That's an old path that we need to get back to. The family is the training center for the next generation of people. Think about it. We have a generation of people coming up. They're 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. They're 12. They're 14, 15. We've got this group of people, this very important group of people, because within 10 years and 20 years, they're going to be running everything. Who's going to train those people? Who's going to civilize those people? Who's going to socialize those people? Whose job is it? Well, it's not the job of the schools. And I'm not advocating for homeschooling here. I'm just simply saying it is not the job of schools. Teach them their ABCs. Teach them their, their math facts. Teach them that that's your job. But it's not the job of the schools. It is not the job of child psychologists. It is not the job of daycare centers. It is not the job of summer camp. It is not the job of nannies. It is not the job of a peer group. It is the God-ordained job of the family to raise the next generation of children. And that family, that training place is to be made up of masculinity and femininity. Dads and moms, men and women. That's how God has made it to be, the family. For pastor appreciation last month, or last year, the church, you guys bought me this book. And uh, it's the biography of Bob Inc. I just want to read a section to you about, he wrote a, a, a book, Bob Inc. wrote a book on the Christian home. But listen to this paragraph. The home, Bob Inc. writes, is, the, is and remains the educational institute par excellence. He argues, this is the writer, the author, he argues that since the home is not the work of men's hands, it bears a very different character from other educational establishments. It's ordained by God. It's the family. None of the schools can imitate, replace, or improve upon the home. Unlike schools, the home does not have employees. It does not exist only in teaching, but also in, listen to this list, advice, admonition, leading, warning, encouraging, comforting, care, and participation. Thousands of seemingly insignificant, small, trivial matters that cannot be duplicated in a school setting have their own special outworkings in the home. In short, Bubbing said, the home is the school of life. It is there that the incarnation of man occurs. Here is the foundation laid for the future man and woman. The home is, the is where the foundation is laid for the future man and woman, of father and mother, of the member of society, of the citizen, of the subject of the kingdom of God. And then he points to the parental influence and its role models who give a living example of faith to their children. Dear friends, this, is the, this was the plan of God, that the child would be brought up in a home where there is a man and a woman. There is masculinity and femininity. And masculinity is created in the image of God, and femininity is created in the image of God. And together, male and female, masculinity and femininity give a full-orbed, multifaceted view of the image of God. And children being brought up in that, touched by masculinity, touched by femininity, ministered to by masculinity, ministered to by femininity, those 
children brought up in that environment are there in all areas of their lives, are encouraged and modeled and trained and helped and blessed by being in that home. Now today, today is Father's Day, and so I'm going to focus on dads. Dads are extremely important in the home. Dads provide strength. Masculinity comes with strength. Dads provide order. Dads provide authority. Dads provide leadership. You see, think about somebody who will pick up a gun, get so angry that they will storm home, pick up a gun, go back to their workplace, and start shooting people. Where does that come from? Where does that unbridled anger come from? Where does that, where in the world does it ever become reasonable to somebody to lash out in that way to kill my fellow employees? How, how does, that, how does that, that come about? And how does that not come about in most of our lives? Well, that problem is solved not by some kind of anemic, uh, watered-down government program. That problem is solved when that child is two. And that child is three. And that child lashes out. And that child expresses his or her anger by their temper. And mom, and especially dad, says, no, no. That is not an appropriate way that you are to live. You need to bridle your anger. You need to control your anger. You need to not lash out in your anger. You should not treat other people like that. You need to learn to control it. And then the next time, and I guarantee you, you get a good parent who says no, a definitive no, that is not going to take place. And maybe discipline action takes place after that. No. The next time that kid acts out in anger, he's going to look like this and look around and see if dad or mom's around. Why? He's beginning to be socialized. He's beginning to be trained that unbridled anger is not the way that he is supposed to act. You train them how to respond. You train them to control their urges. You train them that they're, especially young boys, their physicality and their ability to punch is not to hurt and beat up sister. It's protect sister. God has put you upon. You are an image bearer of God, and God has put you on this world as a man to defend the weak, to defend the needy, to use your strength to, to stop the bad guys, not to, a, a, not to hurt the good. And that's a training process. And that gets told over and over and over and over again to well-trained young men until those well-trained young men, it becomes a part of their very soul, a part of the way they think. And the thought of raising a fist against, against a sister or against a workmate or against a boss or to pull out a gun and shoot them would be the furthest thing from their imagination. And that's what it means to train. And that's how God has ordained it. And that's why losing this pathway and going on a different pathway is such a wrong thing for our culture to do. And dads are especially needed, especially needed when the boys turn to become teenagers. You see, when teenage boys, when boys become teenagers, they begin to feel their masculinity and greater strength and power. They begin to feel their aggressiveness. You know, it's really funny. This has really been fascinating to me. I do a lot of study on this stuff. And women who are trying to transgender into males, they start taking male hormones, okay? They start taking all kinds of male hormones. 
And many of them have complained, as I've, I've read some of their testimonies. Many of them complained and said, man, I, I'm not sure I want to do this. Like, I'm mad all the time. I want to punch people. I'm like, welcome to masculinity. <laughs> okay, that's who we are. You know, I'm angry all the time. I've got this aggressiveness about me. Welcome to masculinity. But well-trained masculinity is what we need. And see, what's happening is, is that as teenage boys become teenage boys, they begin to feel this power. They begin to feel this masculinity. This which is supposed to be directed toward leadership and serving the weaker under you, this that is supposed to be, uh, is to be used, this strong will that you have is, is to stop the bad guys and help the good. They don't know what to deal with it. And that's why they need dads at that point. See, because budding teenage masculinity is not going to listen to mom. It's not. And that's why you need dads. You need a dad to step in. But that dad has to be a well-qualified dad. And what are his qualifications at that moment with that teenage son who's trying to learn how to control his masculinity and needs to be taught? Number one, that teenage boy needs to know that that dad loves him. He needs to know that he's loved. He needs to, because he, dad's going to speak to him now. And, 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 and for me, that wasn't me speaking to my teenage son like this. That was me speaking to my teenage son like this. Okay? This little short guy was doing like this. No, no. Okay? He needs to know that dad loves him. And that's why dad, all through those growing years, needs to invest time with that boy. Invest time with that boy. Spend time with him. Spend time one-on-one, -on -one, doing fun stuff, laughing, doing things together. I got a card from my son yesterday, one of my sons yesterday, and he said, Dad, he said, thank you so much for being a dad and all that. And he said, I don't know if you'll ever remember this. He said, but when I was six, and, you know, we have a large family. He said, when I was six, you took me roller skating. But it was just me and you. And he said, that meant so much to me. And so you see, dear friends, this is an adult now, a 30-some-plus man talking like this. And yet, you see, that teenage boy needs to know that dad has invested in me. He loves me. He's one of my best friends. we fished together. we played ball together. We've done things together. We've laughed together. We've built puzzles together. we played cards together. We're close. We're close. I'll listen to him. But there also needs to be the dad in that situation who is strong enough who is willing to speak to them. Some dads today just want to be their kid's friend, just want to be your friend, just want to be your friend, just want to be your friend. And they're not being dads. They're not speaking into his life. And they're not strong enough to say, I need to speak into your life. Son, you need to listen to me. Son, you need to hear what I have to say. You're a teenager now. You've got these strengths. You've got these urges. We need to work on that. And then that dad has to be strong enough to make the choices that need to be made to stop the destructive behavior. Give me those car keys. No, you're not going out. And if you go out, when I say no, you're not going to go out, stay out and never come back. You say, that doesn't sound loving. Well, I've said it to my kids. And by the way, call teenage boys bluff. They won't. They'll, what? No electricity, no refrigerator full of food. What are you talking about? I'm back. I'm back. I'll do whatever you say. <laughs> See, dear friends, these poor boys... And I know that people would be angry for me saying this because I'm angry at these boys that go in and shoot up schools. I do. I'm angry at them. 
And if they get shot in that process, they get what they deserve. I understand all that, and I feel that. But I also feel pity for these poor boys. These poor boys who never had dads, who never had learned how to control their passions, who never learned how to control their anger. These poor boys became slaves to anger, slaves to passion. Having been at, at Albion's school, uh, prison where Scott was the chaplain and having met some of those guys, I realized many of these men are serving 25, 30, 35-year prison sentences because of unbridled anger. One moment of passion. They're slaves to their anger, slaves to their passion. And they become like animals. I'm not talking about these men in Albion, but I'm talking about a human being will become like an animal eventually, filled with pride, anger, and lost. We need dads. We need dads to teach our young children how to work, how to teach them how to work, and how, how, how to accomplish something, and the confidence that oozes through a man and a woman that knows how to work and is not afraid to work and knows how to roll up his or her sleeves and get something done. We need dads who will teach people like that. We need dads to then teach them how to work, but as you also teach them how to work and how to go get a job and how to keep that job, and sometimes dad needs to say, no, you're not going to the beach with your friends. No, you're not doing that. You're going to work because your boss needs you and your workmates need you. No, you need to suppress your desire to go play with your friends and you need to go to work. Some of my boys, they work at McDonald's and they said, Dad, you wouldn't believe guys just don't show up. They just don't show up. And I said, because their dads didn't train them, you need to be at work. You need to be at work. But while the, once you teach your boys how to work, once you teach them how to, your children how to work, guess what's going to happen? They're going to have money. Then teach them to be generous. Teach them that they live in communities. Teach them to share. Teach them just like they're not supposed to use their fists to beat up on the weak. They're supposed to use their money not just on themselves, but to share and to give to others. I heard a very dramatic line this week, and I shared it with my wife. Listen to this. Great societies are not conquered. They commit suicide. Great societies are not conquered. They commit suicide. And dear friends, we have a great society, and we're committing suicide. How are we committing suicide? We're attacking the family. We're belittling the family. We're attacking men. We're talking about toxic masculinity. And we as a society are committing suicide. Another old path, and I'll just mention these other ones that we need to get back on to and that we need to follow because it's trusted, true, and reliable is the path of the church. The church is Christ's community, and it reinforces all of these values, and our children will see these values lived up in the church. You probably have heard it spoken in a negative direction. I grew up in the church. I grew up in the church. I grew up in the church. Every day the church door was open, my parents dragged me there. I grew up in the church. My butt sore from sitting in a pew. I grew up in the church. I grew up in the church. But I have heard so many adults say to me after they're adults, I praise God and thank God that I grew up in the church. Bring your kids to church. Force them to come to church. Make them come to church. You saw my kids. You saw them come dragging in. You saw Mr. Dreadlocks come dragging in here in his sleep pants and his coffee mug and sit right there. You know who I'm talking about. Well, he, praise God, he's in church this Sunday. And he's a good member of his church. And he loves the Lord. 
But yeah, I drag him to church. Bible reading at home, that's another path we need to get back on, Bible reading at home. So how do we apply this to ourselves? Well, let me just say to all of us here, I know the feeling of hopelessness. I know the feeling of helplessness. How can we stop this gun violence? How can we stop all of these things? But I want to tell you something I think we're all been sort of seduced into thinking that's wrong. And that's this idea that because of social media, because there isn't a shooting that we don't hear about in intimate detail instantly, because of politics, because of world events, because of the 24-hour news cycle, we're always getting news, 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 that we become super tuned into the, the, the na national news and world news. We become super tuned into that. And we become so super tuned into that that we all become politicized. And because we're all super tuned into that and we all become politicized, we start treating politics and, and news like sports, like sports. We have our favorite team, and we want our team to win. And so when a bill gets passed that our team put forward, we're excited our team won. If somebody gets elected who's on our team, we're excited our team won. If a bill doesn't get passed that we want passed or somebody loses an election, we're mad. Our team's lost. And we begin to hate the other team because they're the cross-state rivals and we want to beat them. And we all get all caught up in this. And guess what, dear friends? I don't think, I'm looking out on you, I don't see the Vice President of the United States here. I don't see a Secretary of State here. I don't see the, uh, a Senator here. I don't see a Representative here. I don't even see local politicians here. Dear friends, that's not our calling. We live in a republic. We vote people, we send them to Washington, and we said, do what we want done, do our best, and if you don't, I'll vote you out. What's our calling? What's our calling? Well, dear friends, we live in a community of people. Family, friends, workmates, neighbors, church family, local community. This is our calling, not Washington, not these other countries, not Moscow, not London, not New York, not L.A. This is our calling. If God calls you to be a senator, then go to Washington, D.C. and do your thing out there. Do it well, do it for us, do it for God's glory. But that's not my calling, that's not your calling. Your neighbors are your calling. The people you work with are your calling. And we're to be salt and light among that calling. Dear friends, our society is sick and it's dying. And what it needs is the immune system built up again. You see, if we have a good immune system, if you build up your immune system, then it will fight off a lot of diseases. Our society is sick and it's dying and it desperately needs healthy tissue. It desperately needs a strong immune system. It definitely needs health with there somewhere that it can grow and grow and grow. And who is that? That's you. Jesus said, we are the salt of the world. Salt is a preservative. We salt meats to preserve. You are the light of the world, Jesus said. Salt brings light into darkness. Salt brightens, lightens up the darkness. You're the leaven, he says. The kingdom of God is like leaven, and it grows. You're the leaven, and we're supposed to be yeast for all this. And that's who we are as Christians. We're to be this. And so what's your calling in life? Be a Christian. 
Just be a Christian in your home. Be a Christian in your workplace. Be a Christian in your neighborhood. Be a person of love. Be a person of righteousness. Be a person of holiness. Be a, have a Christian family. Have a Christian view of sex. Have a Christian view of masculinity and femininity. Be a Christian. Be salt. Be light. Be that. That's our calling. And quite frankly, dear friends, we can do that. That's something we can do. It's a change. It's a no, you can't. You can't. People aren't going to listen to your podcast all around the world. You don't have a national voice. That's not our calling. Our calling is to be salt and light where we are. We need to be convinced of these old paths. And I hope that you're convinced of the old. And I'm going to give you some very specific things right now. I'm convinced, if you're convinced of the old path, that this world desperately needs solid family. You say, well, what can I do about it? I'm old. I'm retired. What can I do about it? I'm single. What can I do about it? I'll tell you what you can do about it. Support the family, first of all. Be pro-family in that sense. And if it's a single-parent family, what if it's a single-parent family? What if there's a mom struggling real hard? And we have some in our church. What if there's a mom struggling real hard? Well, step in, man. Help her. She desperately will need father figures for that boy that she's raising or that daughter that she's raising. Step in, help. Help her. Give her a break. If it's a guy who's raising the children, step in, be a mother figure, help. Encourage those who are raising families right now. Encourage them. It's very hard. I know that some of you older people here have said to me, oh, I can't imagine raising kids in this generation. Yes, it's very hard. So encourage them. Pray for them. Let them know you're for them. Let them know that you're, you're, you're there to help them. And then help them out in any way that you can. You know, we have many in this, home, in this church whose, whose conviction is, is that, if they're going to do this family thing right, one parent needs to stay home full time. That means that they're going to try to live on a single income. And believe me, Jan and I did it. It's hard. It's hard. But we were so committed to, to having these children in the home and having a full-time parent there that it was hard. And it's getting harder with inflation and the price of gas now. It's getting very, very hard. So what can you do to help? Put $100 in a card and send it to one of the families of the church that's trying to raise children. In fact, every time you feel helpless because there's another school shooting, you know what I would encourage you to do? Get a gas card and send it to one of the families of the church that's raising children. You say, well, how does, how does that work? Well, I'll tell you how that works. From amongst us, from this local community where we live, we don't want to raise any school shooters. So let's encourage the dads, let's encourage the moms, let's keep the mom at home, let's keep the family intact, let's help these people. Let's let dad so he doesn't have to work two jobs so that he can stay home and play the ball with the kids and take the kids fishing and invest in his sons. Let's do our part. Let's do our part. Buy some groceries. Pay for an oil change. I, have, I, I heard of a pastor and he, he was going to preach at a, at a visiting church, and he came rolling in with this, this car, and all four tires were bald. And there was a man who owned a, a tire shop in the church, and while that young man was, was ministering in that church and was preaching and was an hour and a half, two hours at that church ministering, that man had that car taken, put all four new tires on, put it right back in that same parking lot. When that young preacher came out, there were the four new tires on his car. What an encouragement it was to him. Have somebody pay for somebody's auto repair. 
Buy some winter coats. Buy some boat gloves and boots. Babysit. Take your turn in the nursery. Let moms worship. Let, go babysit. Let, the, let, let parents go out on a date. Help to keep the healthy tissue that we have in the society healthy. Because if we lose these people, we're going to lose it all. Another thing that I would like to encourage you to do and has to do with mental illness and drug addiction. Most of the problems that we have in this country right now with poverty and with crime and such has to do primarily with mental illness and drug addiction, two very serious problems. And these are real diseases. There is a real disease of mental illness. There are sometimes for some people their brain is diseased and there are certain chemicals that aren't being produced and they need medical help. But also there are forms of mental illness and then addictions that will certainly be helped and, 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 and cured or helped in many ways by a solid, stable family. Yes, there are children coming out of solid, stable families who have drug addiction and mental illness. I'm not saying they're not. But for the most part, children that have certain issues that they struggle with uh, are, are basically because they come out of broken homes. But then I want to add a third element to this mental health and drug addiction issue, which is very, very real, and we as Christians better believe it. And that's the influence of demonic elements in our society. Dear friends, read the Bible stories about demonically possessed people. And you're going to find the demoniac in Matthew. You're going to find him a violent man, a destructive man, a threat to society that is chaining him up, a preoccupation with death, and a preoccupation with suicide. Dear ones, there is demonic activity increasing and growing in our culture today. What should we do? Fight back. How do you fight back? Pray. Pray. We should fill our prayer meetings because that's when spiritual warfare takes place. And cry out to God, God, stop this. God, bind these, Satan, these, these demons. God, stop this. God, bring healing. Bring the gospel. Come. See, we can do stuff. Don't just feel helpless. Do what you can in the local place that you live in. God says in Jeremiah 6 this, Stand in the ways and see and ask for the good old paths where the good way is and walk in it. And then you will find rest for your souls. Oh, dear ones, please walk in these paths. Walk in these paths. Find the old paths. Walk in them. But I didn't read the whole verse. It ends with this. But they said, we will not walk. We will not walk in it. If you are here today determined that you will not walk in it, you will not walk in a tried, tested, reliable, true path that has borne fruit for centuries and centuries and centuries. You will not walk in that path, whether it's your sexual morality, whether it's your view of yourself, whether it's your view of God, whether it's your view of the family. You will not walk in that path you're going to pay a high price. And our society is paying it right now. Oh, dear ones, don't. But for those of us who are walking in the right path, you stay no matter what society says to you, no matter how much they hate the old paths, no matter how much they say no, you stay. You know why? And I'll end with this. Abraham praying to God because he said he's going to destroy Sodom. 
And Abraham says, God, if there's just 10, 10 holy people there, will you destroy it? And God said, no. If there's 10 righteous people there, I will not destroy it. Dear Christians, the only reason why God is still withholding his wrath from this country is because you live here. Be who God has called us to be. Let us be salt and light. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we pray for all the dads who are here today. We just pray that you will help them to just pour their life into this most important work. Father, we need them. All of us need them to do their job. The society needs them. The future safety of elementary school students, people in workplaces. Oh, Father, please, we pray, have mercy upon this country. Stop these people who are picking up guns to just shoot people out of unbridled anger, unbridled pride, hatred. These poor men who have never been loved by a dad, maybe have been abused by dads. Oh, Father, please be with this poor, wretched society right now who laughs at family, degrades family, wants to redefine family makes fun of men, attacks men, talks about toxic masculinity. Oh, Father, if you take away all the men from this society, oh, what will we be? Father, have mercy upon us, we pray. And I pray for every godly Christian in this, in this room right now, every man and woman, I pray that you will help us to be salt and light and just be who you called us to be and to live this out in our lives and to love our neighbors and to show them an example of what it could be, where the good paths lead. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' precious name we pray.